What's up, fam? This is your host, Mike, and welcome to the Mike Mantel Podcast, where I have intimate, curiosity-driven conversations with leaders from today's consciousness movement, today's intimacy movement, today's personal growth movement. I'm trying to get a pulse on the zeitgeist of these ever-evolving movements and just gather some wisdom from some of the badass folks at the forefront of them. Before diving into today's episode, I want to give a self-care PSA. I recently drove myself straight into the ground with my poor life habits. I was working too hard for too many hours, wasn't giving myself any solo time. My calendar was overfilled. I was running late to everything until it eventually just popped and just really burnt myself out and ultimately drove myself into the most depressed state I've ever been in from poor life habits. And so I want to give a self-care PSA take care of yourself truly when you take care of yourself it's ultimately a form of loving yourself it will make you enjoy your life more because ultimately when you take care of yourself it makes you the best version of yourself and so you can give the best version of yourself to your loved ones to the world and self-care man it's easy stuff exercise every day Meditate. Dance. Leave yourself free time for just yourself. Prioritize. Check in with your heart before you make plans. So don't overbook your calendar with things you don't want to do. Plan ahead so you're not running late to stuff, constantly stressed out. Get a good night's sleep. Know what's going on in your finances. You know, this kind of stuff. Set yourself up well, man. Please, learn from my mistakes. I'm in the process of learning from my own mistakes, but hopefully you can learn from my mistakes too. If you're feeling shitty right now, you're feeling run down, take a pause, do something to take care of yourself. That's my PSA. And one other thing I want to say is... Gratitude. I want to extend to you my gratitude. For any support that you've given me along the way in creating this podcast, I truly thank you. If you've rated it or reviewed it or given me words of encouragement, it really means a lot to me. And even if you're just listening, that means a lot to me too. If you want to support the podcast in a way that has more tangible cause and effect benefits for me, then yeah, go ahead, rate it on iTunes or whatever platform you use. That would be really beneficial for me, and I would really appreciate it. And if that doesn't feel right for you, that's cool too. I appreciate you listening. So my guest on the podcast today is East Forest. I'm very excited to have East Forest as a guest, and his non-musician name is Trevor Oswald. I originally found East Forest on Spotify a year or two ago. came across the song Toad Lick which is a dope song. I would recommend checking it out. And then I looked more into his work and he's doing some really cool stuff. He has his own podcast called 10 Laws with East Forest where he talks to wise people. 
And yes, he makes beautiful music, but ultimately he's making sound experiences. He runs retreats where he takes people into nature to recharge. He does sound healing experiences where he guides people through journeys of sound where they get in deeper touch with their own soul. He recently began a collaboration with Ramdas and Krishnadas where he's essentially fusing pure wisdom with music and creating an auditory portal into truth for listeners to enjoy. And he's also making a soundtrack for Mushrooms Journeys. And it's soundtracks that he's improvised live. He's been doing it for years, improvising music for others on Mushrooms Journeys. And he's now beginning to create a record and put it out there. And we talk about all these things. Talked about his project with Ron Doss. Talked about him doing the music for Mushrooms and hopefully getting it into the world of clinical psilocybin trials and we talked about East Forest's creative process and how he's able to make such beautiful music and what it looks like for him to create it was a really cool podcast episode I felt so fortunate because I'm a big fan of his music and so it was a really cool experience for me to be able to talk with him pick his brain a little bit alright you beautiful person whoever you are listening Treat yourself well. Take care of yourself. Look in the mirror. Give yourself a wink. And say, you're sexy. Because you are sexy. And do something nice for yourself. Alright, without further ado. Please enjoy my conversation with Trevor Oswald. A.K.A. East Forest. It's been really cool for starters of because I've I've been listening to your music for at least a year or two now. I found it on Spotify, and yeah, you've got some of the songs that just wind up on many of my playlists. But it's been really neat going into your website and listening to your podcast and getting a sense of the inspiration that you have and the intention that you bring in. And it's been really interesting for me because. It's challenging for me to place you as far as like, I wouldn't consider you just a musician necessarily. And I know you have other projects too, where you run retreats and you give live experiences. What do you consider yourself? Like if you were to give a word as far as, or a series of words, as far as what you do or who you are in the world, are there any words that make sense to you? Uh, You know, I, I have the same problem. I think other people are constantly putting me in various categories and I just sort of let it go. Like they'll say, except for when I get called a DJ only because I don't know how to DJ. So, um, but that's a pretty common one, but they'll say electronic musician or, or this or that. And I do play electronic music, but that's not all the time. Um, but my, my girlfriend the other day was like, well, she's like, yeah, you're a teacher. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess I wouldn't self identify that way, but that's probably a bit more accurate. It's that they're they're just sort of all different forms of of teaching, and you know, being a musician is part of that. Being a composer is part of that, <clears throat> and doing things like you said, the the 
podcasts or retreats. Those are all just different. I just want to create different doorways for people to walk in so that they can find the one that fits them best. And some people that's the music and some people that might be the podcast, you know, it's more auditory and talking and some people that might be a different experience. So I'm just trying to meet them at their different levels. And when you say doorway, what is on, what's the doorway into? Inside, into the soul, into your path, into self-empowerment, self-knowledge, knowing yourself, um, not thinking you're the victim and hopefully figuring, I'm just giving like frameworks and experiences and knowledge and I'm just sharing whether that's like podcasts are cool because you're, I'm just an aggregate sharing other people's ideas and experiences. And, and, and that's just another way to amplify, um, myself as just a nexus point of ideas. And hopefully those ideas are creating integration and a, a better world, I would hope, but it's just piece by piece, brick by brick. When did this form of creative production start to resonate with you? I know that, or at least I saw in something that you recorded that it started with nature recording crickets and just the sound of nature as like an access point into infinity, so to speak. And I'm wondering, was there like a point on your creative journey where it became clear that you wanted to provide people with a doorway? I think it was just what I was looking for myself. It started about 10 years ago when I was just going through my own spiritual process and awakening in my late 20s. As a lot of people do, I think that time is traditionally called your Saturn returns. And so for me, it was, it was just, just, I was on the, just searching. And so I was, I was just searching through a lot of different experiences. And that was pre 2012 and 2012 was a very potent time of people thinking there was going to be a lot of change and really being on the precipice of something big, which I, I fully believe we're in. It's just more of a cosmic time, like many generations, but we're absolutely in the middle of it. Like all those Mayan predictions, I feel like it wasn't an overnight thing. It's like, it was just more marking this time that we're entering into, which is profound change. And you see it on all levels. And I think a lot of people are witnessing that internally. And so for myself, I just started making particularly music that fed that part of me. And I, I used it as a tool, meditation tool and a shamanic tool. And it was just very powerful for me. And I started sharing it with others. And now we're talking on a podcast, basically, <laughs> 10 yeah, years later. <laughs> for sure. Was there a moment of your that struck you as the... F- I don't know if there's a first spiritual awakening, but uh, a moment that all this kind of started to rip open for you? Yes. I'd say there were several. But the biggest, at least with as far as these force was concerned, was when I, my first record, I made it as a tool for myself uh, to use with m- mushrooms, psilocybin. I'd had experiences on music that, with mushrooms that were incredible, but I didn't really know what the hell was going on or how I didn't know what, how to get back there or what to do with it. All I knew is I wanted to have that experience again. It was so ineffable and, and beautiful. 
So I started, I started writing music that I thought I could use in that space, but not really knowing how. And I did as much kind of background research as I could into sound healing and different techniques I could use. And then I was also experiencing indigenous ceremonies to just be like, all right, what are they doing? Because they all use sound and music. That's like the main mechanism to guide you through the experience. And usually it's, it's live, someone's doing it. And so I just was picking up basically this old technology. What have, what have people been doing for millennia? And just put it all together in my own creative sense. And uh, it took about a year. And I remember I decided to sort of honor the record by having a ceremony. And I took some mushrooms and I put on the record, put on some headphones. And my, I mean, it, it changed my life that moment. It was... Yeah, I remember the moment vividly. And so that moment was very, very salient and very powerful. Yeah. And very um, pointed. What did that open up for you, listening to that record on while on Mushrooms? It, it just felt like my soul had tricked my ego into making a piece of art to use as a tool for that moment so that I could have that experience and it would transform me into a different level of being and knowing and consciousness through that experience. And so it's just one of the most beautiful things I'd ever had happened. I mean, I've never worked on something like that for a year. And because of the field recordings in it, I was hearing everywhere I'd been in the last year. And everyone, like, it was like a record, a diary of my last year. Anyway, that that's my first record. And then I released the record for free. It's still free my website or a gift, I should say, the education of the individual soul. And that was the thing that uh, I, then I started using that in ceremony with other people as a, as a kind of a, a point to, or, a, you know, a tool to use. And it just kind of kept going till today. Yeah, that's cool. Cause I saw this year you're releasing a music for mushrooms guided journey soundtrack. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, five-hour album experience that's fully connected and designed to take you from start to finish as to be your musical guide through a psilocybin journey. Dude, that's a really, it's a really neat idea because I've done that for myself on Mushrooms Journeys. I've created playlists for myself. And actually, the last time I did that, I went into the Johns Hopkins playlist that they use. What'd you think of it? Mm, Mixed. It It was mostly classical music. Yeah. Which, to be honest, yeah. I don't have a very nuanced taste for, just based on lack of experience. A lot of it it's was also uh, it's it's very square classical music, like literally the angles, the timing. There's not a lot of the syncopation. The it's not very organic and fluid. To me, it's it's aside from like death metal and this sort of stuff. It's it's not ideal music to be playing in psilocybin uh, from a, a oh. musicologist point of view. Dude, that's 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 fascinating. Do you know why how that playlist came into creation? Well, there's another playlist by Imperial College uh, that also is doing research. And it's the same. They, look, there's some awesome music in there. I just don't think it's the best for the journey. And none of that music was designed for psilocybin. And and none of it is... I mean, they're, they're doing things. There's a couple papers that have been written about this on 
you know, how the arc of a psilocybin experience and how to meet that with certain kinds of music at certain points, which um, makes sense. And there's sort of like an ebb and a flow, like there's pauses in a way, and that makes sense. Um, not having lyrics makes sense. You know, all that stuff's intentional and smart and um, and good. But there's more levels to it that they're missing out on. That I That's one of the reasons I made the record I have in my offering, because I think I want them to use it beyond just individuals like yourself on their own personal journeys. I want them to use this in these studies because first off, the music and music for mushrooms a soundtrack for the psychedelic practitioner it was recorded in ceremony live and improvised in that space. Oh, wow. And so, so you were improvising it. Were you, were you on mushrooms while you were improvising it? A little bit enough that I can feel the energy and, and feel the room and so forth. And that's to me important. Um, not required, but I think that's an advantage artistically. Like you're, you're speaking for the, the mushrooms, I would hope, the energy of that's wanting to come through. But um, more importantly, I was responding to the flow and the energy of the actual journey. So it's, and the long, all my music came from that space where it's long form, uh, slow growing and building. That's ideal for the mushroom space. You know, 20, 30 minute songs that build slowly. Um, and, and there's also... And then there's these long pauses in between. So, so I'm sort of creating a sonic architecture, a world for you to be in. You know how that is on mushrooms. You're like in this, when you close your eyes, you, that's where it creates the world. So that's just the world you're in. And then you have your experience in it, but you're in this, it's like a room and it has Western chord progressions and instrumentation. That's all familiar to you, Right. So it's not like it's some indigenous song that you're just, okay, I got I to wrap myself around this rattle and stuff that I, I, it's not really a home base for me. This is like, no, no, no. I've, I've heard this kind of music all my life. It's like pianos, you know, G minor to F. I mean, these are in songs. We hear, it's familiar. It's familiar to the Western ear. And, and we don't have any of that tradition in our culture. And I wanted to, to, to create a modern musical tr- tradition that's psychedelic that can be ours, that's for our culture. You know, it's for the Western ear. And then I also use field recordings that I record myself of nature. And everybody knows that mushrooms is great in nature, but these ceremonies are internal. So it's like, well, let's bring those, the sound, the spirit of that in. It's quite soothing and quite powerful. And that's not in any of these playlists, you know? Um, and so that's in, it's integrated into the music as a musical tool, like uh, cricket being a tambourine and so forth. Uh, it's not a gimmick. And, so that's another layer that I feel like they're missing. They don't have any of that in these studies. And I'm just like, man, you guys, and obviously I'm doing things like there's some sound healing techniques in there and some alternate tunings. And there's a, there's a, there's a pressure and a release that I'm, I'm working with inside the songs. And that's all part of how that works inside the journey space. That's advantageous and the arc of it. And I'm singing in a language that's not a language. It's a universal language. So it's not igniting your, your, cognitive uh word centers of your brain it's more of just an emotional part of your of your body so i'm hoping the cumulative of this you know i've also been doing it for 10 years where i've it's anecdotal research so i'm just saying it's developed out of what is actually working not and not a theory it's like well this is just what's working with people and this is what helps them have a positive profound experience that's safe and positive mm. 
in hearing you talk, I got a just a deeper sense of at least my perception of the work that you're doing of fusing the modern world technology, what we know about the brain with some just like tried and true ancient access points into the infinite. It doesn't get more classic than nature. That's that is, that's like that that is the thing. Like visually it's the thing, sound-wise it's the thing that brings us into this space and it's really cool for me to hear you talk about ways that you're integrating those two because I'm all for what's happening with psychedelic assisted MDMA assisted psychotherapy and the ways that the western paradigm of working with the mind is fusing with the psychedelic world. I think that's amazing that it's happening. But something does feel weird to me about putting psychedelics in a clinical atmosphere. Even the words you're using to describe classical music of like square and edges fit into that for me. And I'm I'm not really sure where, where, where the future of the fusion of Western dealing with the mind and some of these ancient technologies is going, but it's really neat to see you fusing them in a way that feels very intuitive. Well, you have to remember a lot of these researchers who are doing this admirable work, they've probably, and I know some of them, have had profound spiritual, personal experiences, and that's why they're doing it. And so they're just trying to work inside a system that they need to uh, codify it and have data and results so that we can basically add science to the mix. And I'm totally in support of research and data because everything to this point has been very anecdotal. And it may be that there is a a part of the compound of psilocybin that helps with depression. And it's possible it, it's just that simple, you know, and it's like no toxicity and you take this and it's a million times better. That would be profound. Let's find out. Um, but I have a feeling it has a lot to do with the ceremony as a, the tool itself and that the medicine mixed with the ceremony, it's not divorced from that, that these things are actually quite important. And, or the alkaloids and things in ayahuasca beyond the DMT itself, there's you know, there's other plants in there that maybe are important. Well, these are all things we can find out. And so we've, we've been, the research has been banned for, since the 1970. And uh, it's time, it's time to, you know, there's slowly, it's, it's coming back. I'm curious, do you view much, whichever psychedelic plant, do you view it in the lens of it being a spirit, an entity with its own personality? Is that a worldview that resonates with your experience? I don't, to be honest, I don't know. Only I'm just saying it, it's so beyond me and I'm so humbled by it. I'll just say that, it. yes, it feels like it has an intelligence for sure. And I feel that it works with me, but it, it's it's speaking in the same way that the um, nature has an energy or the universe has an energy. I mean, it is so powerful and profound that I would never pretend to think I know what box I could put it in. Right. <laughs> And because I would not, you know, I've been, I've been slapped down before and I, I don't want to have any of that hubris. Yeah. That's a refreshing viewpoint, not just about psychedelics, but about life in general. Every culture has different boxes that we put the mystery in. And I find it like an interesting activity to just try on different boxes and see how they land in my system. But I I like what you called the mystery for a reason. Yeah, um, but yeah, exactly. The traditional folks uh, in Mexico who worked with psilocybin, they call them the Nino Santos. So they do have a childlike energy. Just in speaking with you, I can feel your 
confidence in maybe it's in your path or just your confidence as a human and the way that you move through the world. What's your relationship with that word? Uh, when I hear you say that, I just think I'm older than you. And I think <laughs> it's probably as you get older, maybe they, maybe you're just more of a curmudgeon. But uh, I think all that wisdom is, is knowing what you're not in experience. The more experiences you have in life, the more you start to figure out what works for you and what doesn't. And foolishness is simply continuing to do the things that don't work. I, I try hard to to be compassionate to myself and to others and to and to figure out what works for me and to do it. But I'm also very blessed to be able to, I've had a lot of great opportunities in my life to be able to have access to tools and time to do what I want to do. And that's, it's, it's a huge, huge blessing. Not, you know, not everybody has that. Hmm. Yeah. I agree with you that age is, and experience is a very real thing in my own life. If I look back to 10 years ago, I was so deeply insecure and partially I just didn't know myself at all. And I think there is something real that not everyone who's older has a confidence in their journey too. No, it's certainly not a guarantee, but our culture has pushed aside age a lot as a virtue. And, you know, when I was working with Ramdas on this project and recording him, it, that's what was so cool about it. I mean, talk about an elder and someone with such gravitas and experience and wisdom. And you know, he's trapped in a sense behind the aphasia, the stroke he had and how it makes it, in some ways harder for him to communicate in a fast paced world. And that's one thing I liked about the recordings we did together. Cause when you put it to music, all of a sudden those pauses became an asset and your brain doesn't notice them and it puts his thoughts together and he just came to life. And, and that's, uh, it was wonderful to have him at 87 years old, sort of speaking so powerfully to such relevant modern issues. Yeah, I'd like to get into the Ramdas project in a moment because I'm curious to hear about it. But I want to linger a bit on what you said there, which I think is a pretty profound thing for a lot of people in the Western world that we cast the value of age aside. And at least in the worlds that I'm involved in, which is a lot of entrepreneurs, it feels like everyone's trying to invent something. Everyone's trying to innovate something. And there's some idea that the old tried and true wisdom is that people can do better or, or or something like that. And and in general, like when you look at older folks in the US, it, it's pretty obvious that we don't collectively respect the wisdom of older folks. And I guess it's just sinking into me like the travesty of what's lost in in that way that we're operating in the Western world, or at least in the US. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we honor youth and we don't want to see death. The way we push aside death in our culture is not helping us because you could argue that every single thing we do is in reaction to death. You know, everything is in the face of the one thing we know we have to face and face that on an individual level. And then it just trickles out from there. And so I think if we could get closer to death and age, it's just sort of similar, right? It would help us a lot. It would it would help us as a as a culture, as a people, and as individuals. 
Are there ways that at least in your life you found it valuable to connect with death, either your own death or the natural death that is a part of life? Uh, I'm not resolved, but the two things I've actively done is uh, I spent some time playing music and volunteering at hospice to just be around it. Did that for a few years and that certainly was not, it was valuable. And uh, psychedelic experiences, mostly with psilocybin. I mean, that's the biggest thing. A lot of people can sometimes have an experience of death and rebirth and that's profound. You know, it's it's seen sort of beyond the veil, and that's one of the first studies that was done was with psilocybin, was with John Hopkins, and how it would maybe reduce anxiety for terminal cancer patients, and it did on a on a pretty big level. Uh, and that was one of the first things they they did. So it opens up a part of you that sees beyond in a way, and all of a sudden you're like, I'm not as scared to die because I see maybe that there's parts of me that don't die or it's, it's very hard to put into words. Obviously it's, it's kind of ineffable, but there's a point where some science was able to get some data and that's good to know. And if, why not have that maybe in the toolkit for certain people who are facing something without a lot of tools that we, you know, we're all going to face in one way or another. No, I agree. And yeah, it occurred to me at some point a couple of years ago that it, it just feels really important to contemplate death and i would consider myself a uh, death positive if if there's such a thing partially because i think the individual and collective fear of death it's almost at least in my experience it's just like i don't even think about it is the impulse like don't even let my mind go there don't talk about it with people but as i've started to inquire into it it it's taken the teeth out of it a little bit I did a really cool retreat uh, last year in Guatemala. Uh, it was a darkness retreat. So I was in an ashram and uh, totally sensory deprivation. They would give me meals three times a day through a little slot. And I was just in, in blackness for a couple of days. And it was a great opportunity to contemplate death because I couldn't see my body. And the thing that I really sunk deeply into wondering, which I really could not find an answer for, which is what exactly is dying and i it, i couldn't really pinpoint and i mean that's kind of the same question as like what is the self who is mike but i really couldn't figure out what it is that's dying is it like my thoughts that are going to die is it my internal experience it uh, i i really couldn't land squarely on being able to pinpoint my internal experience of what it is that will die and that was really profound for me and i'm i guess i'm just stating that because i think I just feel like such an advocate for people, for death becoming more culturally uh, an acceptable thing in the zeitgeist, in, in conversation, in contemplation. Yeah, we just shouldn't push away the old and we shouldn't hide death. These, that's what I'm saying. These things, these things will help. You know, it, 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 isn't, it isn't pretty often and it isn't linear, but it's, it's, it's part of our culture and other cultures, it's a lot closer to them. It's not hidden. And for us, it's hidden. And then we also uh, idolize youth and newness. And that's our own thing that we're hypnotized with. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we do idolize both those things. Yeah. Do you, do you have a sense of if you got to choose how your human journey ended? Do you have a sense of how you would want to die? 
healthy, <laughs> and that sounds strange, in, in my sleep and without pain. I mean, I think everyone would just prefer to die without pain. And, you know, everyone wants to feel, I mean, this is, gets into philosophy about whether dying younger or older is one is more or less moral or ethical, but uh, we we certainly think, you know, when someone's old and dies, we're like, oh, well, they, you know, they had a good life. <laughs> and if they're young, it's a tragedy. But uh, there's a book I like called Journey of Souls. I'll just leave it at that, but it's an interesting book about the soul's journey. Let's go into Ram Dass project. Okay. I'm wondering if you can take me through the journey. It sounded like they reached out to you to come over and make a record with Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, and is that how it went down? No, the other way around. I, I had the idea and pitched it to them, and they had the graciousness enough to be convinced that it was a good idea. And I went over there to Maui, to his home. He has not left Maui in 20 years. He's not going to. And we, I recorded some conversations with him in his study, basically, where I asked him questions and he answered beautifully. And then I took those recordings and wrote music and put them into music. And then after that, we've been gathering a few different key featured artists to include in the project. And then we're releasing it in four chapters or four parts as a, cause they're like micro teachings and this way that the sort of teachings get to digest for a couple months and it culminates in a full length album on August 9th, 2019. And so we'll have a, we've been having, you know, as listening gatherings, we encourage people to have for each one. So the next one's March 22nd for chapter two, I'll be having one or an event in Boise, Idaho at the tree Fort music festival. But, you know, anyone in the world can host a listening gathering. It's an excuse to get together and host your own thing. You listen to the stuff. We give you some materials. You can have some discussion about it and just get into these these subjects deeper. And then on August 9th in the summer for Chapter 4, we're having a big release event in Los Angeles. Once you had the recordings of the wisdom that he was speaking, what's the process like of either finding the clips you want to use and integrating those with the the sound that you want to marry with it? Uh, well, he was such a master of giving me stuff that I thought I would be doing a lot more editing and so forth, but I would ask him a question about, um, say, how do we deal with dark thoughts and depression and this sort of the scourge that's going on? And he, you know, if you listen to the song Dark Thoughts, which is already out, that's just what he said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Start to finish. I was just like, are you kidding me? It's it's like amazing, valuable, and also the right amount of stuff. There wasn't, I didn't really cut anything out. I didn't. I didn't, I never rearranged anything. And, you know, he might take 15 to 30 minutes to say just what he said in Dark Thoughts. So he only said, say, a minute of stuff, but he has all those pauses in between his words. Uh, and like I said, they, be, they didn't matter inside this technology of this song. So what he gave me was incredible. And then I just, it's very difficult to describe how, how I kind of curate the, the music making part because to be honest, it's not as intentional as you might think. It's, it's just very creative and you try things and something, they just kind of sync, some things sync up and, I just try things and then I, I hear it and I, I think, well, that needs 
a cello and it needs to go like this. And I find a cellist and write some parts or we do that. Or that needs a, that needs some conga. All right, let's let's do the conga thing. And I just start producing basically. And then I go after that, I go into the mixing mode and I, I mix it. And that's a whole nother process. And then it's a very private process, but I'm, it's something that's very familiar to me and I've been doing for a long time. This is my 15th release just with East Forest. And so it's, it's a creative process that is challenging, but it's also uh, familiar. Hmm. Got it. Yeah. And I think I heard uh, on one of your podcasts in Ask Me Anything that you, at least this is what I interpreted, that you'll have uh, inspiration come up and then just kind of improv riff and go back and some of them still resonate, some of them don't. And is that generally your style of just like letting whatever comes out improvise itself out and sometimes it's what you want to work with and sometimes it isn't? Uh, yeah, I'd say generally the writing process for me is one of of that, like doing a little bit every day. Like the last two weeks, uh, I'm I'm here in, in, in Boulder, Utah and at the studio, I got the piano tuned and I was like, okay. It's tuned. It's only going to be tuned for a little bit. So I'm only here for a little bit. So I got to record. And I don't really know what I'm going to do with that stuff, but it usually might become the basis of something else. That's what happened with the Ramdas material. A lot of it, I I actually, some of it I recorded in the past, that last year. I didn't know what it was going to be. And I was like, ooh, this one might be good for that thing he talked about, you know, nature. And, oh, I'm going to just use one of the piano parts and I'm going to replace the other one with this uh, prophet synth and I'm going to get rid of the rest and I'm going to add in all this other stuff. So it's sort of like the bones of the song. And I do believe that if a song is, it can survive really well and it holds your attention just as a piano song, meaning like the structure and the melody is, is good just like that. It's probably going to work really well now if I start adding stuff in. But if you're trying to put lipstick on a pig it's never really going to be that interesting. And, and so I like to just, I do like to work from a improvisational space. And that's where I come from, from the ceremonies, like the music for mushrooms is strictly that way. But I like to essentially sit down. You just try to like play around until you, something sparks your ear and then kind of fit, create that into some sort of song and then put it away and then maybe do that two or three times. And then that's, that's a day. Um, and some of those are good and some of those aren't, you know, when you look back on it, but you look, you just, you just do the work, do the labor. And then later on you can figure out if, if it's really any good. Do you have just a gigantic library of all of the creative impulses that have come out of you? Well, I'm sure I have a big library of like, sort of speak crumpled paper on the floor, you know, things that (laughs) I don't think that are that interesting, but that's the creative process. Uh, if you record every day for a month, let's say you have, roughly 30, let's say you have 40 ideas in there, 40, 50 little nuggets. Uh, if you have 10 or, or 15 really interesting ones, that's a pretty good margin. You know, it's a good batting average in songwriting, but that's not always the case. It comes when it comes, but I think all I can do is put in the labor, the time, the discipline. I'm not responsible for the fruits. You know, I'm responsible for the labor. Yeah. Do you have a sense of when you're making something, if it will be a um, golden nugget or a crumpled paper? Sometimes. Sometimes you think, oh, this is great. And then you later on, you're like, it's not that great. 
You always think the latest thing you did is the best. But there are many, many times there have been things. There's a song on, on chapter one of the Ram Dass called Please Pass the Bliss. And it's just a piano song and a Ram Dass. It's the only one that's just that. And that piano song to me is perfect. It is so beautiful. I love the structure. I love the tone of the piano. It sounds like it's just brushing. It is so goddamn perfect. And I remember, I don't even remember recording it because I probably was like, ah, I need to eat lunch. But I told myself I would I would record a little bit. Okay. Oh, this one's this is too simple. This is just B flat to E flat to to D. This is every it's been done a million times. And I just forgot about it. But something about when you have that witness consciousness, when I'm not inside playing it and judging it, it had a magical feeling to it. And I couldn't see that when I was doing it. Uh, But thank God I was like, well, I'll finish it. I'll at least get it in the can. And then many weeks later, I listened to it. And I was like, this is awesome. This is beautiful. (laughs) Hmm. I love it. Man, that's that's amazing. That sounds so similar to... I read a book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Yeah, oh, yeah, I love and, that book. It's it's the same oh, idea. It's so good. Same idea. Like, you just got to crack yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. That's what you do. You, that's Every day, you're going to have the voice that says, why don't I do the emails? Or I'm like, today, I need to, I've, I usually go to the studio and do it in the mornings, but I've had a lot of calls and like this podcast today. So my goal is to do it after this podcast, but there's a high likelihood <laughs> that that voice will be even louder, that monkey on my back, and be like, you know what? Just do it tomorrow. Because now day's pretty much gone. Oh, you're not so good in the evening. Oh, you're tired. Oh, you need to eat dinner. It's about to get dark. It won't be any good anyway if you go over there. But And I might listen to that voice and it might be right. But part of the compassion I spoke about earlier is me saying like, it's okay. It's okay. You know, and if, if it's, I'm not going to beat myself up uh, for an, if I don't record today uh, i you know some days you need to take a break too i don't do it every day by any means i need to have downtime and i only do it for a little bit i'm not in there like all night long or anything like that that's very rare you know that's only if there's some crazy deadline mm. i'm wondering how you relate because i think that voice of stephen pressfield calls it resistance the thing that uh in his wording tries to distract you or yeah, yeah. Uh, keep you away from your calling. And I'm wondering how you relate to that because maybe part of it is routine or discipline or or something to that effect. And I'm wondering what's worked for you to continue to be able to be in the studio <laughs> part is even being when the resistance is there. The fact that I'm half German uh, and I grew up in such a way that, you know, I, I'm a very disciplined person um, to a fault. You know, I'm also very hard on myself and others. And I've most of my personal work has been on lightening up and not being so negative and stuff. So uh, I, I don't I don't think I have a magic recipe other than that, like that's just part of my genes and my upbringing. And that I I just the hard work that I do is is the consistency. And I'm very good at deadlines and uh, being prepared for things in advance. And I think that's been a large measure of any successes I've had is because I deliver on, you know, I do my best to deliver on time and I'm, and I, I, and I enjoy the work. I enjoy, I enjoy creating. I've started to recognize how creativity feeds me instead of it being a hassle. I was like, Oh, when I don't do this, it's, I really start to sink 
maybe there's a connection here. And I start, so that's as getting older and getting into this, I start to realize, oh, okay. You, you start to see the advantages and the power of creativity. And it wasn't until recently even that I started to really start to trust that. Um, and now it's sort of obvious to me. It's like we're creative beings. We are meant to do this. <laughs> we, if we don't, I can see, I, that's what makes us unique as human beings is our ability to create. That and our sense of humor, um, it's profound. The fact that we are animals, just like animals. We're literally animals. We fucking shit and all these things. And uh, then we can have cosmic thoughts and and <laughs> do psilocybin trips and podcasts and, and do art and all this crazy stuff. I mean, it is unbelievable. We, we cross worlds and we're incarnate at the same time. And that is quite possibly a very, very unique thing in this universe. Yeah, it's cool, that uh, idea of the crossing worlds. I was really struck, just today I I read through the lyrics of Ten Laws, and I've heard that song a lot of times, but I'd never sat down and actually read through each of them. And I guess for anyone listening, that my understanding is you talk to someone, Court Johnson, a guy who's Seemingly a hunter-gatherer. <laughs> he's not a hunter-gatherer at all, but he's a VCJ, VC Johnson. He's a skateboard artist. He's just, he's a mystic is what he is. He's a, he's a mystic. Well, it sounded like the, the 10 laws of his were related to like very fundamental human. Yeah. I mean, the, he calls them the hunter-gatherer's code of 10. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He's got okay, many, yeah. many, many lists and numbers. He's got a hundred room psychology that he's developed and, uh, and so it, it's very complicated and beautiful and, and, and playful. But that was so cool because the hunter-gatherer is, as far as the crossing of the worlds, it feels like, because yeah, humans are animals and the hunter-gatherer feels like such a, a place that we really connect to the animal. Like the fundamental human lived in the forest or lived in nature. That's how it got by. And I thought it was so, so cool looking at the wisdom that guides uh, this really like primal human and using it as like symbolic metaphor of for me to survive in this crazy world with technology and business and yeah he's, he's talking about like the set of stars that keep your life sailing straight you know and i like that metaphor so it's sort of saying what's important to you what's ground zero if you cover these bases you're gonna you're probably okay the rest of it's gravy and so that's what he's sort of developed for himself and they're not immutable and you could you could borrow them, take them, add to them. Uh, but I like that. It's a personal code of ethics, the personal church of you, in a sense. One thing I was wondering also, I know a moment ago you're saying you're of German upbringing, and so it's there's just a way in which, you know, coded into your culturing is the ability to be disciplined and things like that. And part of your life journey is the lightning upside, which made me wonder, at least in this chapter of your life, are there any lessons that you're in the process of learning? I think my edge recently has been about shining a light on my unconscious negativity and complaining and these sorts of things and realizing how insidious that can be and bringing more love to that and less judgment to myself, to others. More and more letting go to the process that's unfolding as opposed to my dissatisfaction perhaps with the process I desire and realizing the process that's unfolding is amazing, you know? You know, it's things like that. 
not resting and not knowing and also those fine lines of confidence but also humility so yeah these are all things i i feel like i'm exploring lightening up (laughs) yeah that's cool is do any of those feel like uh between the lightening up the confidence and humility the just watching the complaining and attitude the trusting and letting go I'm curious, do any of those feel like the the sharpest edge for you? The negativity. Yeah. Because I didn't see it. It was so inbred into my life and my consciousness. I, and just more and more realizing places it is that I was like, oh, wow. Like, I really am um, sort of bringing something negative to the table when I don't even see it that way. And seeing the disadvantage of that or how, what I would like to change about that. Cool. That's that's a cool one. That's something I I put a lot of thought into also of complaining. And for me, it's something I often pay attention to in speech, complaining and gossiping. Well, it's, it's, it's like very unconscious usually. So you usually don't even, you wouldn't even think you're complaining. You know what I mean? And it's like the four noble truths. Uh, it's, you know, your speech is incredibly powerful. Yeah, dude, for sure. I think it's, I don't think it can be overrated how powerful speech is because it essentially shows an access point to everything that's going on behind the scenes in the psyche and then it turns it into a like more concrete reality. Yeah, I mean, it just works. You're training your brain on that level. And what's amazing about it too is like we're performing a method of telepathy right now and with the listeners as well because I am basically have my experiences in this consciousness in my brain and I'm using sounds yeah. <laughs> to convey that and you're picking up on it. it. They're just sounds. And so essentially it's this energy, it's just tel- you're telepathically by definition, understanding that and, and changing it into this cognition in your head. Dude, that's a really trippy thought that you're, I'm just making noise and my tongue is flittering around and like causing- yeah, the, making mouth sounds, yeah. Yeah, I'm making mouth sounds that are going into your ear holes. And body and it's, language, but it's all just ways of, well, you know, it's communication, but I'm just pointing out that it's like, uh, it's a way of taking your brain thoughts and giving them to me. And For sure. And, you know, this is this, it goes into sound in general and how I think we don't fully grok how seeped we are in sound and how it's the fundamental soup of the universe and our beingness and, and music as a part of that, but sound in general and the power of it. And even how it's encoded in things like the Bible, you know, God spoke, then there was existence, you know, the big bang in science. As Terrence McKenna would say, it's like, give us this one miracle that everything came from nothing for no reason, <laughs> the big bang, and we'll run with it and we're cool. Like science, we're like, we got, you know, if you give us that crazy miracle, we're good. And nonetheless, we call it the big bang. And, uh, and here we are in the reverberation of it quite literally. And, uh, it's like asking a fish what water is, you know, what is sound and music to us in our life? It's like, we don't even know. Cause it's just, it's everything. It's, it's a large part of it. <laughs> large yeah. Part of do, our existence. do you find sound to be a more, more fundamental than than the other senses? Well, I, I do. I'm biased, but uh, yes. And I think being deaf would be, prof- that would be quite interesting uh, because 
it's hard for me. But in some ways, you still experience sound as pressure waves, vibration, like, you know, when you feel bass and what all sound is being experienced that way. And um, you can still experience sound and music as a thought, like Beethoven composing. Um, but nonetheless, it's a, it's, it's, I don't think we fully have comprehended its importance and power and what we can do with it and how it can shape our experiences and our emotions and our bodies. That's sort of what the world of sound healing is essentially, but that's also what music is. Music is sound healing. Just it's all sound healing. And, and we're, we, music is more popular right now on this planet than it's ever been in the history of the planet. You know, it's streamed, it's more present in our lives and it will be every day continuing now, probably, who knows, forever. I don't know if it's going towards some concrescence, but it's, I mean, just today, India just got onto Spotify. That's four or 500 you know, million people <laughs> are going to announce. I mean, I'm not kidding. Like, Right. The, the amount of people tapping into music on their just all the time is bigger than it's ever been. And it's always been hmm. big. Right. And the last yeah, thing I'll really say uh-huh. is it started with you in the womb and the very first organ that turns online in your body is your ear when you're in the womb. And the first thing you're going to hear, you're in amniotic fluid, which is like a whale hearing sounds, is going to be your heartbeat and your mother's heartbeat. The very first drum. And no surprise that a four on the floor house music is big. It's familiar. No surprise that a shamanic drum, doom, 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 takes you into a trance and trains your brain. Gosh. Okay. Yeah. Have to. It's the end of an episode is always hard because my curiosity starts getting lit up, and I want to follow that thread deeper. And time is an important thing in this world. <laughs> and so I want to pause here and just ask, I know we've talked about a lot of your projects, but I want to give you space to speak about where people can find you and some of the reasons they might be intrigued to look you up. Well, eastforest.org, not.com.org. Eastforest.org is definitely the easiest place to see all the different things. And that's where you can find the music, which is easy to find anywhere you listen to music as well, including the new Ramdas project. Uh, but that's also on my site is where I just have the links and information to the retreats. If you want to get some FaceTime, some wilderness time, uh, we're doing one on the summer solstice at Esalen, Esalen Institute, the hot spring place in Big Sur. And then I do another one in Southern Utah here at my home, which is just the most amazing, profound spiritual place I've ever been in my life. We do that in the fall colors at the end of September. And then I do my East Forest concert series, the ceremony concerts, and those are just kind of all over. So you're going to find one close to you, I hope. Um, and then the podcast, you know, my podcast, 10 Laws with East Forest. And that's sort of like this one, conversations with people exploring their paths that I find to be unique. Maybe there's something interesting to pick up on that. And I also do some meditations on that. Um, but, and I'm there will be more collaborations and more offerings. And like I said, it's just doorways and finding the doorway that's right for you. And I'm just there to open the door because if I'm opening the door for somebody else, it's just another doorway into my own heart. And it's something that I need to. Sweet. 
Great, great full circle, bringing it back to the door opening. You like that? <laughs> yeah, I did like that. <laughs> All right, man. Dude, really appreciate you taking the time to connect and share wisdom and share some of your story. It it really means a lot to me. I really I really appreciate your music. And I've been listening to your Ram Dass mix as, just with my eyes shut recently and letting it soak in. And I, I have a really great appreciation for it and a lot of respect for you and the path that you're on. So I just want to say very sincerely, thank you. Oh, thanks, man. I, I'm glad you're, thank you for giving your attention to that project. I feel that it is creating a field of awareness, a field of energy. And the more you give your attention to it with just, just sort of actively listening like you're doing there, the more you'll receive from it. And it can be really deep and really beautiful. So bravo. Mm, yeah, man. The one that hit me the hardest was the, I am loving awareness yeah that one's cool because it's a 10 minute song it's the longest on the record and he's it's a meditation it's the only one that i'd say is truly a meditation where he's literally guiding you through it and describing how he uses the phrase as a mantra uh i am loving awareness as a way to connect essentially into his soul and then he's you know he's taking you through it you you experience it so you know it's just it's a cool like kind of meta thing going on that he's talking about it, but he's also showing you how to do it and actually giving you the experience of it. Yeah. Yeah. I smoked some ganja last night and was listening to that one. And it just, (laughs) it felt like he was just rubbing some balm on all of these areas of my like inner world that I've been struggling with recently. It was really cool. Yeah. And Christian Doss on there is a really nice treat. So it's a cool one. Hey friends. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you got something out of this episode. I know that I sure had a blast with it. If you enjoy this podcast, please head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. I'm offering an exchange right now where, if it feels in alignment for you to give this podcast five stars, then send me a message on Facebook, let me know you did it, and then I'll sit down, take some time to grok your profile, and I will write you a thoughtful and sincere compliment. Truly, please take me up on it. And if this episode touched on something you think a friend might find titillating, pass it on to them too. And I just want to say, I bring my utmost sincerity to each of these conversations, and I really do want to spread vibes and information that cause people to reflect and deepen and just live a more honest, kind, and vivacious life. Because I really believe that the state of the world needs everything that we can give it it needs people to be at full capacity it needs people to be living their life fully and giving their greatest positive impact to humanity and so if i can just flick over one domino with this podcast that flicks over a couple more that lead people into living their life fully and giving back to the earth then by jove man i will be a happy dude so trying to do my part here and any help love and support i would just so greatly appreciate and at the very least i am super appreciated that you listened to this episode and much love folks i'll see you next time